0: The GGBC is brought to you by GG Poker. It's the world's biggest online poker room. They have more players than any other site and it's designed to bring back
1: the fun to poker. They've got the classics like Texas Hold'em and Omaha with games for all skill levels. Yeah, Deck loves Bounty Hunter. Yes, I do. And GG Poker has games that you won't find anywhere else. They run huge tournaments with big prize pools and George... Did you know they actually hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament? What about if you're a new player? Well, George, I'm glad you asked. If you're new to GG Poker, when you make your first deposit of at least £10, you'll get £60 in free play. No wonder they've got more players than any other
0: site. You've got to be 18 or over, and this offer is for new UK players only. Minimum deposit is £10, full T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org, please play responsibly. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi, I'm Marcus. And I'm Luke. And we're here from the Football Ramble, the UK's most entertaining football podcast. We react to all the
1: bigger stories from the Premier League and beyond.
0: But you won't hear loads about stats and XG. You'll
1: hear more stuff like this. So if you don't get this job, Wayne, what, what do you think you'd do? Probably... Trying to beat up a YouTuber. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not sure I was expecting when I saw
1: Luton 1, Man
0: United 2. No, um, Harry Styles to be eating tree strong mints from um, Sammy Lee's bumhole. <laughs> Search football ramble and hit subscribe. See you there. I think I could invite anybody to that. <laughs> yeah, it's like for everyone there. This is a crowd podcast. people say, will he become a world champion one day? Like, no way. Like, not with the current crop of
1: middleweights. To be honest, I'm dead against it. Daniel threw the tower in himself. I feel like Dubois missed an opportunity. Do you think Eubank wants this fight? What happens if Daniel Dubois boxed Anthony Joshua? Let's get on with it. I'm George, he's Deck. Hello, it's the George Groves Boxing Club. Hello, Deck hello george how are you i am great how are you yeah good we know the shits hit the fan when it's sunday and we're recording i'm back in solid walls surroundings after my camping excursion as anyone who's ever gone camping will attest it's there's it's lovely to get home after after a good old camp and it also meant it precluded me that trip precluded me from going to um poland where it all went down. But let's start, George. Because most people listening to this will know the score, that Oleksandr Usyk is still the the unified heavyweight champion of the world as a result of a ninth round stoppage uh, over Daniel Dubois. And that's what it says on box That's what history will say. But anyone who's watched the fight or has seen any of the fallout will know that doesn't quite tell the whole story. Because in the fifth round, Daniel Dubois landed a right uppercut slash bolo on the belt line. I would say of Alexander Usyk, or maybe a smidge underneath. And this is where the this is where the problem lies. Alexander Usyk dropped like a sack of potatoes, writhing on the floor, shaking, in real trouble. The referee, Louis Pabon, uh, said this a low blow. Didn't didn't deduct a point or anything from Daniel. Said it was an accidental low blow. Give him five minutes to recover. Up he got. But the replay showed, and many people watching suggested that was not a low blow. It was a legal shot, and Daniel Dubois should be the new heavyweight world champion. Where do you stand on it, George? Was it a low blow, or was it legal?
0: In real time, from the angle, I thought, oh, that's a bit low. And it was more so that... Usyk's reaction, like it's almost like he goes to reach and grab the, the Nadders, you know, the, the Nether regions, the, the old cock and balls. And then the replay shows it's on the waistband. At half point, Carl Frampton jumps in and says, Listen, that's the navel should be showing. It's not navel showing, it's on the waistband. That's a legal shot. Dude, boy, should be heavyweight champion of the world. And I thought that was really good. That was really clever. I really like the way you created some super excitement right there. If we sit back and we have a little think about it, when did, like, the waistband be legal? You was always told as a kid, you can't punch on the waistline, you punch above the waistline, right? And then we know as, as the years have gone on, the waistbands have got thicker. They've gone from three inch to, to four inch. The the sponsorship and the, and the names and the kids' names and the, the mother-in-law's names get bigger on the waistband. The protectors are getting bigger and rarely will you ever see anyone's belly button now, you know, at the start of a fight. We used to pull our waist, we, we used to have to Belly button showing when you went and did the touch gloves before the fight. You walk back to your corner, and then you do a little squat slash jump, and yeah, it's back up. And then you try not to show any nipple if if you can get away with it. The referee was entitled to his own discretion. To decide whether it's a low blow or not, right? And and I thought fair play. I thought that you know the referee didn't didn't do a bad job. No, the questions that will fire in after is like, or oh, Usyk Usyk took three and a half minutes to to get back to it, but we don't know if the referee started counting straight away. Deck, he might have gone, oh fuck this! I don't fancy this, but I'm gonna have to get up, and he would get up. Would he survive the ten? Who knows? But legitimate low blow but it's it's literally whatever the
1: referee wants it to be in my opinion it kind of just happened in a flash didn't it and because Dubois didn't celebrate or anything like that he sort of had a little second of hesitation, much like Joshua did, by the way. if Joshua did exactly the same in the rematch to Usyk, the videos going round, uh, exactly the same shot, exactly the same referee, Sort of, and Joshua sort of landed it and knew it was tight and didn't go after him because he knew it was a, probably low anyway. But then when the replay started coming, it was like, oh, that's close. And you're thinking... Well, didn't hit him in the bollocks. Definitely didn't hit him in the bollocks because it's too high up for that. But then you're like, okay, what's the rule? The rule is navel. So regardless of how high the waistband is or whatever, if it's below the belly button, that's a low blow. That's the belt line. So whatever's going on, doesn't matter whether you've got tassels on, doesn't matter whether you've got tiny waistband or whatever. If it's below the belly button, it's low. But the problem with Usyk is that you couldn't see his belly button for the shorts. So there's a little gray area. And I think the point is, you hit the nail on the head, is that Louis Pabon saw that in one second, or like when it happened, split second. It's going on Twitter now, and people are still arguing about whether it's low or not. We're still discussing whether it's low or not. And we've seen it a hundred times. We've seen the photo, we've seen the video, seen the slow-mo, he saw it in one second and he's got to make a decision. And I would rather he erred on the side of that's low than when, uh, I'm not sure about that, so I'll just let it let it slide. The reaction from Dubois and obviously his own thinking when he saw it, it, was like, well, that's half on the waistline, half of it's below. He didn't hit him in the bollocks, but it would have hit his protector probably into his bollocks. That was the problem. But I'm not going to sit here now and be like, Daniel Dubois knocked out U- Usyk. He's the real champion. Because again, let's just bring in a question here. Someone in Twitter got in touch. Vic Thomas. Vic Thomas, not a very Polish name. Do you think Usyk would have gotten up in time if it had been considered a legal shot. And that's what we were saying. is totally hypothetical, that is. And maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't have, but he didn't get the chance to do that because the referee ruled that. So it's not, uh, Dubois the real champ at this point, as far as, as far as I'm concerned. It was very close. On another day, it might have got through and it might have been considered a legitimate knockdown and then we would have seen what Usyk's made of in that situation but that's not what happened it's definitely borderline and therefore at the referee's discretion and if we're going on naval it was below that I think
0: if you're going to go with the naval argument then all of a sudden waistband shots are legal right they are legal Um, and if you get dropped with a waistband shot then you're out. Like, and then sometimes that happens. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, that you'll have a rules meeting before any major title fight. You know, sometimes a non-title fight. So the teams will get together uh, the day before, and they would talk to the referee. Uh, they talk to the officials. Sometimes the promoters are sitting in on it, and they'll go through the rules. And if you have any concerns, like maybe Usyk, because he got caught with the, the similar shot against Joshua, has said, right, everything's got to be above the waistline, uh, and they've all agreed it out back and that maybe that's why Don Charles isn't screaming at ringside maybe why Dubois has been told before the fight keep it above the waistline the referee will visit you in the changing rooms I mean usually always for a, well they have to pretty much for a world title fight you'll see the referee they'll come into the changing room make you aware of who they are they wish you luck and then they'll they will ram home the important bits of the fight that they think uh, are going to take place you know sometimes it might just be generic stuff you might have a referee I can't think of a an example of a referee who might say always say right punches above here no punches in the back of the head when i say break let go step back you know it sounds bizarre because you think well surely you know the rules by now you're fighting for a world title but sometimes there are things that fighters are culpable for is culpable the right word there yeah that'll do they're culpable for I'll take it so the referee will point out to him say you
1: can do this or you can't do this. I mean, one thing I've seen the video from later on, on Saturday night in America, uh, Jared Anderson boxed Redenko and the referee at the start, you know, where he's doing the final instructions, like on the TV, he goes, shots, they're illegal, shots, they're illegal. Anything below it are illegal. So like that referee takes it upon himself to go, that's your limit. Anything, and, and that for him, that was the top of the waistband. So anything on Fabric, basically. One
0: question, Deck: Do you think Frank Warren has a strong enough case to get an instant rematch? I mean, Frank Warren, he's very good at this, but Usyk's got Hergovic now as a mandatory for his IBF. And of course, everyone's screaming up for this Tyson Fury unification, one champion, you know, road to undisputed. But do you think Dubois
1: got a good enough case now to get sort of a, a reinstated as mandatory? I think it's probably a no. He, he was going to have to lobby the WBA. He was the mandatory challenger for and obviously as is customary all the belts are on the line but it was the WBA I guess that he, he he's going to have to speak to. He sort of said afterwards all, you know we'll ask the governing bodies but um, my feeling is the WBA will go referee's discretion. It's not quite as it's a grey area the refs made a call you could if it it could have gone either way
0: Daniel Dubois is a WBA regular world champion he's actually a world champion already and Usyk is the super champion the winner of that fight usually the belt well disintegrates and doesn't exist anymore but now Dubois beaten and maybe in controversial circumstances of such will he retain the regular belt deck or will he now fight for a vacant regular
1: WBA against someone else how do you see that working out maybe but that's a question for them but If only in this club we had someone who was on the wrong end of maybe the most controversial stoppage in British boxing of their generation in this club. If only we could call on that sort of knowledge. When you climbed out of that ring in Manchester, after the frotch fight, after that stoppage, and you were, every part of you were like, I've been stitched up and cheated here. How do you go about the rest of your day and night? And the, the following days like that's where Dubois is at right now
0: but maybe something that he needs to do is maybe not feel too sorry for himself and walk around you know thinking that he's been too hard done by it because I had that for a long time and uh <sighs> it's not great it's not great it's not great uh, I managed to get an instant rematch but it doesn't always work out Deck. one thing that, that I thought about and we, we covered it I think with a listener question recently and I've always been kinder against it but VAR uh, I've been asked is it now time for VAR in boxing and I was thinking I've always been a, a solid no even though I feel I've been on the wrong end of some dodgy decisions and of course what would it have been like if there was a fourth official ringside and said Howard Foster stood up my "No, that fight needs to carry on that's bizarre you could never do that in the situation that I had but where it may work is if A fighter is deemed to have received a low blow and he's getting his five minutes, right? And then maybe there's a fourth official who watches the replay, sees a legal shot and just says, actually, it's a legal shot. Make him stand up now and touch gloves and crack on. Or would there be any other variations to that? You know, you couldn't... Could you say that Usyk was knocked out? But you can't because he's,
1: he's, he's entitled to sit on the floor for as long as he wants, as long as the referee said low blow. It is a good one. In between rounds, if someone sustains a nasty cut and it's like, that was a headbutt or that was a punch... Because obviously, if you get cut by an accidental clash of heads, you can't get stopped by that. The fight can be stopped and then it will often go to the cards, depending on how far into the fight you are. But if you get cut by a legitimate punch... And that that cut stops the fight, then you're you're out. You're, that's a TKO, of course. But you in that minute between rounds, just take one judge to have a look and go, that was a headbutt or that was a punch. Um just so the ref knows. Often he will know, but sometimes he might not. To be honest, I'm dead against it. I think there are two
0: sensible reasons for VR, but the only problem would be is that if you let you let If you let it in, you've opened Pandora's box. Just keep it out, Dex. Get rid of it. Keep it in the the bin, mate. In the bin.
1: Bin it. In your position as the expert in this field, how do you get a rematch at this point? Because you famously did. The things that worked for me was a sway
0: of public opinion. Which then created a value for the fight. Eddie Hearn, whether he wants the fight or not, he's thinking, well, if we do it, it's going to make some money, you know? And every other promoter in the business is thinking the same. The governing bodies are thinking, well, it's going to be a mega fight. So sanctioning fees will be good, but also it's high profile, which, you know, was good for, the, good for the belts. But in Dubois' case, right here, I don't see how he can do that, how he can k- sort of create value. He's never, he's not a fantastic talker, but Usyk is, like for was, he's the A side. They'll now be looking at, bigger fish to fry. He's got mandatories already, Hergovic being one of them. So they'll be on his case. So I guarantee you, Wasserman Boxing, whether Hergovic fights Usyk next for the three belts, or if Usyk then has to fight Dubois again, they'll be lobbying to get that IBF belt vacated he would get stripped and then Hergovich is fighting for a vacant belt and then he'll be looking to unify against Utik or Fury for more money in a better position so I'm not sure how Dubois does this and I'm not sure if if it is quite the right fight for him. This opportunity has sort of landed in his lap where he did win the WBA regular title and he's going in to fight Alexander Usyk, who for me is the best heavyweight in the world right now. But all the best heavyweights in the world right now are getting on. They're in the twilight of their career. Really, you think about it. They're all in their mid-30s. Even the guys trying to break through in terms of, you know, your, your joyce, your Fraser Clarks you know these guys ain't got time on their side he's he's the youngest of this crop and you could be thinking to yourself well maybe we pull him out pull him away go back to the drawing board rebuild come again maybe it's a different um landscape in two three years time maybe these champions at the top are on their way out if they haven't left already because it was a tough fight for him deck i mean you know he boxed really well for me like on the cards he was he was heavily down was losing the rounds if he was winning the fight and he just got caught, then you think, well, maybe he's ready, but I, I don't. I don't think he
1: was deck. I mean, how would you get? How do you see the fight? How would you score in the fight? It was pretty dominant from Usyk. I must say, I, I was even having said that, I was impressed by Dubois and the amount he was landing. But I've always said that Usyk is not elusive, even against like Bellew and stuff. He's getting caught, but the, the way he moves and the way he operates. He often be taking the heat off the shots. He was getting caught a bit. He's got a good chin. Like that was the one thing that David Hay said before Usyk moved up, because obviously David Hay did the same from cruiserweight to heavyweight. He was like, once you get in, doesn't matter the level of the heavyweight. They're big, big dudes, and they're it's, you're going to feel it. So Usyk's proven himself. He's got a good chin against Joshua now and, and Chisora and whatnot, and now against Dubois. Um, but I think that Usyk was dominating the fight. I don't think the soaking wet canvas helped him. He's su- he's such a good mover. The fifth round then just changes everything. This is what I wanted to ask you, George. I feel like Dubois missed an opportunity. So he's got a wounded Usyk in front of him. I must say Usyk looked pissed off at that point, of course. And then he didn't jump all over him.
0: I don't think that was the best Usyk we've seen. I don't think he was in the same condition that he was for, say, the Joshua fights. Um, He might have been looking at Dubois and thinking, you know, you're not not the same animal as... Joshua, maybe some other stuff going on in his life. Obviously, he's got a, a, a mad life and he's from Ukraine and Ukraine's at war and he's he's participated in that and many others. So a lot of pressure on him. And I, I'd, Even though he came in at the same weight, he didn't look quite the athlete that he has done in a couple of other fights. So I was wondering if that would be a factor. Um, Dubois came in lighter, and I thought he looked in quite good shape. You know, usually he looks quite top heavy, and the legs not Bambi-ish, but you know, he, he just looks like he's too heavy for the for the legs. Whereas this time round, sure he's up, he's bounced a little bit, but he did look a lot smoother and a lot better flow than he usually did. That said, for me, he wasn't winning these these early rounds. Usyk was finding the range. He does punch and stay in range. You know, obviously, he's, he's sharp with his feet and he cuts out at angles, but he will hit you with two, three, four, five shots. They're peppering shots. They're not huge shots, but he'll go head and body. He'll dip the knees to go low. Sometimes he'll go, like, even in the second round, he dip the knees to jab to the body, then he's come back up to the head, and then next time he jabs to the body, he just throws it from that high position so it's just he's always giving the guy in front of him a different look a different look so I felt like Dubois tactic should have been a tighter guard but punch with him you know you can't you can't punch after him even trying to like catch and fire would be hard because he's fast enough he he cuts out of good angles but as soon as he comes in just swing something you know because Usyk does have that mindset of, I'll touch him, touch him, touch him. So if he's in that touch him, touch him, and you just land a big right hand, you're the one in a strong position. We skip forward to the fifth round, and he does catch him with that, the one he goes down. He's deemed a low blow. Frustrating it must be at this point, certainly from Dubois, because even though he doesn't have a point taken off, the pressure's on him, the eyeballs are on him. He's thinking, I can't just wing away with this right hand, because if I catch him on the belt again, if I catch him on the side Am I going to get another low blow? Am I going to get a point off? I think he does make an effort deck in the fifth round. I think he does pressure on. And in the sixth round, the sixth round is his best round. It's the only round they gave him. But he's not a high volume puncher, you know. And it's not like he's caught Usyk with a headshot and he's done a funny dance. And you're thinking one more headshot and the fight's over. Got to sustain this pressure while Usyk's unraveling a little bit. So I'm not really gonna give it to Dubois, where I felt like oh he'd missed he missed a bow and he should have put his foot on the gas and blown it because after that sixth round I think the legs
1: are tired. I think he was tiring. It's one of them, and you see it particularly in the Bellu fight where Bellu does well early on, but you can just see the energy just sapping and sapping and sapping. And I just thought there's like Dubois, he's gonna get it, it'll get it. This will catch up with him. But what I mean by opportunity is it's like. You know on fight night where you buzz someone and they're sort of a bit floaty for a little bit. I feel like Usyk had a little floaty period and he managed to just get through it. And that's because he's a a great fighter. And I must say as well, it's all credit to Usyk really because it happened in the Joshua fight. I can't remember exactly which round. It might be the ninth where he had a bad round or Joshua had a good round. And then the next round, Usyk put it on him, turned it back round in his favour. And obviously, you're, we're talking about the fifth round where the low blow happens. The sixth is good for Dubois, and by the ninth, the fight's over. He turned it around quickly; like he got his legs back under him. He got, you know, back to business really in the seventh, or eighth. He's just putting the keeping the pressure on. He's just going through the gears a little bit. In the end, Dubois stopped by a jab, come sort of lead hook. Uh, that drops him. Let's talk about the stoppage because I got a message actually from Sweet Pug saying if it hadn't been for the low blow would we be talking about the stoppage more? Because we all know what happened with Dubois against Joe Joyce. People labelled him a quitter because of what happened to his eye and he, he took a knee and didn't get up. This time he's not flat out on his back. He's not absolutely unconscious but he fails to answer the count. Pabon waves him off. He's on his knee. As always, I much prefer to hear the, op- the the opinion of someone who, the professional boxer who's put the life on the line multiple times when it comes to the Q word. What was your view of it?
0: Daniel threw the towel in himself. He got danced around for a few years. It felt like where everyone was scared to call another fighter a quitter. And if you did, you'd overstep the mark. And how could you, how could you do that? And then you know I've wrestled I've wrestled with the idea before reviewing other fighters and and talking about my last fight against Callum Smith where I've I've come to terms with the fighters left me and I don't beat the count for it. Something that someone said to me once is the hardest time to do something is the first time. He saved himself for a better day is what I I truly believe in terms of the Joyce fight this time round he's fighting for three of the four major heavyweight championships of the world against one of the top two heavyweights in the world I think he could have got up I think he should have got up I think he should have gone out on his shield that night and I was a bit disappointed for that now it's all one way traffic some fighters have a puncher's chance they have they have that equaliser power and Dubois has that like he has that for him to save himself for another day for me, wasn't great.
1: It might be the best thing that he does. I felt like he could have got up. I think back to what you say about the Smith fight and that idea of having, the, having it punched out of you. I think about what Barry Jones told us in that amazing pod that we've done. If you haven't listened to that, you've got to go and listen to it. I still think that little bit, the last few minutes where he's talking about the Asselino Freitas fight, his, You know, when he got dropped multiple times or stopped and stopped he, and he's like, I quit. I didn't think, fucking hell, he bott- he's swallowed it here. I thought, he's been beaten. Been beaten by the better man, by maybe the best heavyweight on the planet. And that's what happens in boxing, isn't it? And the fact that he's not out on his back with his eyes closed is, for me, I think that's a good thing. I often find that it's the pros, the people who do it, like you, who go, that's what you fucking sign up for. But I would never think that. And I I didn't think he's quit. He swallowed. I thought... He's lost his fight. He had a moment in the fifth. It didn't go his way. And normal service resumed and Usyk took over and stopped him. And like he's done to a lot of other people. The fact that Bellew got hooked and was on his back head on the bottom rope just so happened that he was at that stage of exhaustion that the shot did that to him. It didn't do that to Dubois, but it was only going one way at that point as well. But I know what you mean about the puncher's chance, but I'm sure that's not going through his head either. He's just like, I've been beaten. I've lost this fight. And then that's... That's what he has to live with. The thing that he'll feel more sick about, I think, is the um, the apparent controversy and the fact that he feels cheated by it. And I think he's going to have to get over that. And he did look good.
0: like, it, it, And there was periods in the fight where he looked like a, a better boxer. He's always had that power, but it's that freakish power. It's not that power where he's, but he's sort of thrown the perfect shot, technically. It, you know, it's just that he hits people when he disintegrates them. But there was periods in this Usyk fight where he shaped up really nice, especially as he started to get tired in the rounds, you know, 7, 8 and 9. Maybe this could be the new birth of Dubois where he might look at a Joe Frazier or a George Foreman. or so, Maybe an old school sort of fighter where the hands are a little bit tighter and he just punches narrow. Rather than trying to be a little bit too high on his toes, a little bit too bouncy. Slows the feet down a touch but keeps that upper body flow tighter guard and punches loose
1: and hard like he already does what happens if Daniel Dubois boxed Anthony Joshua
0: I think we need to worry about Dubois that when the, when the going gets tough the tough don't get up mm. and he might get caught and hurt against Joshua if he gets into that flow then he's, he's more than capable of beating Joshua who at times still looks like he's got so much developing to do fuck it I'll go yeah I'll go Dubois I
1: would think i would probably pick Joshua Decision yeah. in that fight Yeah, but it's an interesting one okay the obvious one because we have spoke about it before and we might just get it now based on what you saw the version of Oleksandr Usyk we saw in Poland who wins now if he boxes Tyson Fury he might be susceptible to a body shot Um, that might be his
0: kryptonite and he might have thought he didn't need to be so sharp because Dubois doesn't punch as fast but I, I still think Usyk once he switched on he's up for it he'll have the game plan Many things that would work well for Fury won't have the same effect. They might have some effect, but not the same effect. I mean, certainly all the shenanigans that go on outside of the ring, like Tyson Fury would always be able to wind up Deontay Wilder into a frenzy. He gets in Anthony Joshua's head. He might get in 95% of the fighters out there in terms of their head, but he ain't getting in Usyk's head. No one's getting in Usyk's head, are they? Usyk is the road warrior. He's always had to travel. He's always been the B-side. He's, and he's always come up gold boxing ability and i know so so many people get really excited about tyson fury's boxing ability but for me it's not that great you know his punch technique is at times good but at times not so good it's just that he manages to stay light on his feet and he's got fast hands for his size of course he's 6 foot 9 and nearly 20 stone so there's going to be force and power in in any of them shots because of his size and he's usually punching down on guys which which works well enough for him but i think usik will be out of southpaw stance when he's switched on and he'll be able to keep making them minor adjustments with the feet land the shots cut out at the right angles you know I can't see Fury grabbing him laying on him all the bigger guy tricks Usyk just won't be there for it you know it's not as easy as just grabbing someone if they don't if they're not there to be grabbed now Usyk will always try and press you off the front foot and that might be the fight but I don't think Fury's comfortable with it. I don't think Fury wants it. I think that's why we haven't seen it. The best version of
1: Fury walks him down, knocks him out.
0: When's the best version of Fury? Is that... Deontay Wilder too? You're right in that that's the best version of Fury. And I think Fury was exceptional
1: at night. For a spanner in the works, I think Wilder was awful. Uh, okay, before the ad break, we were going to speak a little bit longer about this. We ain't got time. Adam Hamid, the son of Prince Nazim Hamid, made his the first fight of his life, amateur, white collar, anything. And he ring walked to 30,000 plus people in Poland like against Voček Hardy. He was not great old Hardy. He was um 17-year-old bloke from Czech Republic. Lovely kid, sure, sure, but that was not a good night for him. Anyway, Hamid won in, in a round, didn't get anything back his way. So he's, you know, ticked that off. I just think we've had Campbell Hatton talking about too much too young, too much too soon. I just hope now he disappears into the shadows a bit and he learns his trade because like I said in that Hatton episode Nazim Hamid wasn't boxing in front of 30,000 people in his debut it won't do him any good to be on stages like that for every fight so I really hope that's not a sign of things to come would you agree
0: yeah have you seen that clip it's Naz with his sons I think this morning one no one's asked him a question but he just says people ask all the time are you going to be as good as your dad and he goes of course he's not <laughs> <laughs> He's like, How can anyone be as good as me? I'm sure there's there's a strong element of truth in it from dad at that point. But maybe that is the point that relieves the pressure from you because it's it's almost like Tongue in cheek. And Adam, I spoke to Adam a long time ago. I thought he had already made his pro debut. I can't believe it's only happening now. Never boxed. Never
1: boxed. He's been up at the Ingle Gym for for quite some time now uh, and he signed with Skill Challenge. He's trained by Spencer McCracken in Birmingham. That was, he was on that by virtue of his alliance or his allegiance with Skill Challenge of course in Saudi. They got him on that slot. I think, you know, the future's bright but fucking hell. Like he's young and he's never had a fight in his life apart from one against vocek hardy i'm sure it'd be a fun ride fight of or performance of the night by a stretch was hamza shiraz he's only just 24 he's 24 in may he stopped dimitro mitrofanov in what was supposed to be the biggest test of his career another undefeated guy etc etc stopped him in two rounds punch perfect massive for the weight mitrofanov is little for the weight to be fair but ah. future middleweight world champion without a shadow of a doubt very good let's see him against Denzel Bentley next okay well let's park Poland it's coming thick and fast let's have a break and we're going to talk about this weekend's action next join us today during the Jeep celebration event right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts.
0: Big fights deck, big nights coming thick and fast. This weekend in Manchester, Chris Eubank Jr. gets a chance to... Revenge. I was going to say gets a chance to avenge, but then I sort of turned into revenge. I fuck that line up, completely. But he gets his chance to <laughs> avenge with revenge against Liam Smith, and it's going to be eight months after a, their initial fight. I'm working deck. Believe it or not, I'm up there. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm part. Of, I was there for the first one. Are you I'm going up there again? Yeah, Sky. I'm Sky. I'm Sky man. How do you see this one going? Should we go straight in with How do you see this one going?
1: It's hard one because Eubank. I thought was doing okay actually in the fight. If you rewatch it, it was like he was doing okay. It was an even fight. And then that obviously happens in the fourth. And then we had the scream up after about it was an elbow, et cetera, et cetera. And then afterwards, we've since heard that everything was wrong. I spoke to Harlem Eubank, who was in the change rooms afterwards. He's like, everything was wrong. just It wasn't right. He's since left Roy Jones Jr. It's one of them where it's hard to get a yardstick on exactly how normal that first fight was. Was it how it is and Liam Smith's going to do it again? Or was everything really terrible? Do you think Eubank wants this fight? Well, I think he wants as much money as humanly possible for the easiest fights, just like every other boxer. Well, yeah. And I think he looked at Conor Ben, whether he's juiced or not, he saw Conor Ben as a welterweight and he thought, this is easy money. Liam Smith, not so much easy money. So he, I'm sure he would rather have be been fighting Conor Ben for money, but he's not. And he's fighting Liam Smith, but he does get this chance of revenge. I, I find it hard to. Gauge what's going to happen, and for once, I'm looking forward to a rematch because usually I'm just like, "Well, we've seen it already. I know what's going to happen," but I don't really know what's going to happen, George. What What do you think? And I know you can't be too. You have to be impartial because you're working it. But what's your sort of gut telling you? here is it repeat or revenge?
0: I'm not going to go that far yet, Dick. But I'll say analysis of the first fight was Eubank. You're doing okay, but he never looked comfortable. Really, there was nothing. There was no comfort to him mm. when they first made the Liam Smith fight. I was like, well, he's a he's a wily old fox. Been about. He's got amateur pedigree. I mean, ABA champion, junior champion Champion, box for England, been in the pro gym a long time and never really failed. You know, he's got got beaten, stopped by Canelo Alvarez, but there's no, no disrespect disrespecting that. It's probably the, one of the best versions of Alvarez at that weight. Other than a couple of losses on his record, he's a good, well-skilled, well-rounded fighter, which Eubank is not. You know, Eubank was always about the engine, the hand speed, decent punch power, great chin. Um, and then guys who have a superior skill set, um, he was going to push him. I think the Saunders fight came a bit early for him in his career, but he he, he dropped a split decision, and from then he he actually really improved. I think he's 34 now I think Smith is 35 it seems like age is catching up with you bank or at least you wonder because you're questioning yourself about that last fight what was it all about was it the weight was it getting down too light and staying light you know was it having Roy Jones in the corner who maybe doesn't really have a lot of experience in training and peaking fighters he's got a lot of experience in training and peaking himself but with other fighters I'm not so sure did he have concussion in sparring in the build up to that fight sometimes that happens fighters don't realise it or don't want to accept it they go through and then their punch resistance ain't there on fight night but it didn't take a lot for for Smith to start landing and then Eubank to implode so you're thinking wow you know back to drawing board he's going to have to be stronger and fitter and a better athlete this time round and he's certainly going to have to be a better boxer. But now working with Bomac, who's working with Crawford, working with all these other top elite level fighters, if it is a weight-making problem or a sparring problem or a peaking problem, he's going to spot it. And hes I'm pretty sure he's not there to be silenced by bank or shouted down. He'll say, nah, that's no good. Smith has pulled out or, or postponed, should I say, I think it's more than once. I think at least twice this fight has been pushed back. Uh, and we're finally now, uh, it's going to happen this weekend. And so what injuries and niggles is he carrying at the moment that he's had to postpone? Most fighters never get through camp without something. And maybe Smith's in a much stronger position now where he can postpone a fight. But maybe there's only to a certain degree and then the network pull it or your rank looks at other options. Who knows what sort of fitness that Smith had. And also coming off a win. You know, going back in with the same dude. Um, what's his mindset? Is he up for it? Is he pumped? Is he confident? Is the pressure on? you got to try and somehow do better than the next t- last time. Does he even
1: care? After what happened in the first fight, surely he's going to be just supremely confident. Like fourth round knockout, with nothing really coming back his way to trouble him over the course of the f- first three rounds. But, you know, just, you know, normal feeling out process. It's like... I think Eubank's got to land someone early just to, to get knock that confidence out of him. But equally, I was racking my brains. Eubanks never had any real moments like that in any fight. He's never had a moment like that where he's just been like blasted out really in the corner and peppered and put down. So I'm wondering how he feels. Like his whole thing, his whole career has been this almost cartoonish arrogance. You know, he won't mind anyone saying that. That's what he does. But then when you lose that sort of Cloak against someone like Liam Smith, who he'd basically belittled in the in the build up to the fight, and then he's done that to him. You're like, well, how's he feeling in camp? Like, is it all a charade? Is he questioning himself? Is he thinking, what the, how am I going to get? Like, what do I do differently here? And also, what can Bomac really do? in the course of a, a short camp. I do wonder though, if Eubank loses, he's 33 now, he'd be, he would be 32 and four if he was to lose. Where would he go from there? Like, do you feel like his career's on the line here?
0: The thing with Eubank though, I felt like a couple of years ago, he gave up on the, the quest for becoming a, a world champion. He sort of got to that that stage that fighters do where you're like, well, you know, I'll, ch- I'll chase the pound notes, I'll chase the bigger fights, but at the expense of history and accolades and championships he was that healthy link between reality boxing and professional boxing it's bizarre now because there's so much reality sort of youtube boxing out there that to put you put eubank in that category is excessive because he is a world ranked fighter you know a legitimate fighter but he does play into that role really well i think when The Conor Ben fight was made, which feels like years ago now. I was like, I can't justify you to anyone that you're legit and you're pushing for world championship. People say, will he become a world champion one day? Like, no way. Like, not with the current crop of middleweights. So that makes you think that even if he does get beat and then someone says, do you want to do the Conor Ben fight? It might make it easier to make. And then if he loses that, they go, well, Jake Paul would actually rather have a go now. Do you want to have a go at that? Anything goes. Um, I'm asking you today, what's the final prediction?
1: I don't know how, but I think it's repeat. One more thing, George. We are pushed for time, but I did want to mention this. On Friday night, I was in Victoria Park in the field watching the strokes. Remember the strokes? Absolutely stonking. But then my phone, she said... Robert Hellenius has uh, returned an adverse analytical finding, the old adverse analytical finding, our favourite. As I was leaving the strokes, I checked my phone, plethora of messages from everywhere. As we know, Hellenius flew in on a week's notice to box Joshua after Dylan White was pulled out of that fight because of he tested positive and on the press conference which was the Wednesday Joshua was like said to us when we sat him down and we had our little round table with him he was like I've I've insisted that Helenius is tested as well because I don't trust anyone anymore and we're like oh fair fair enough tested by Varda. 10 minutes earlier we'd been sat with Robert Helenius, who had basically said it's too lax here. Dylan White can have a ban and he'll be back. But if I did this in my country, I'd be, you know, I'd be, he actually said I'd be lynched. Oh, they'd never let me box again, blah, blah, blah. He was like, all I've got in my system is Viking blood. And lo and behold, that Varda test that Joshua insisted on <laughs> has come back dirty. Now we can't cast aspersions. Hellenius has come out and denied it like they always do. What do you make of this, George? How's he dirty? What has he taken? It didn't fucking help him. One thing that did surprise me is he obviously, he can't have, so he had the fight, we all told. He had this fight in Finland in the castle against a nobody. He must have taken something before that fight.
0: I mean adverse findings, you know, is it was it if it was
1: recreational, you're like, oh, was he celebrating his big win? No, it's come out as a PED. So this was a pre-fight test which we only heard about after the fight. This the same thing happened to Alicia Baumgardner, pre-fight test they can't logistically turn these things around in time before the fight. So we only hear about it after. Now people go, what's the point then? The point is they get for court now. So now they, they have to deal with the consequences. Do we need to find a way where a pre-fight test we get the results somehow before the fight? Because if Helene has had injured Joshua or Baumgartner and injured Dartu a week later it's like oh yeah by the way she was fucking full of steroids or he was full of steroids they're no good are they like then what what's what we on a murder charge or what
0: I think there needs to be a stronger deterrent to stop people doing it 10 year ban boom 10 years boom that's your career over boom 10 years but just slap them with a ridiculous fine uh, ridiculous suspension ban boom cross the board universal you're not going to go and get no Luxembourg license nothing like that boom done and some serious education then in that part of how and why this has happened you know and maybe there are different severities to to what it is and we never know do we because no one really understands it seriously you've got to fucking take some responsibility like it can't always be oh contamination of it stop fucking eating stuff you don't know where it's come from what it is what it ain't like know your shit
1: Anyway, George, that's Sunday. That's How About That. That's the biggest How About That we've ever done. But it's coming thick and fast, George. How how do people keep on top of this?
0: Yeah, so if you want to keep up to date on the Robert Helania situ, then you need to absolutely hit the follow button in your podcast app, right? That is a solid. Share the pod. Tell everyone how great it is. Dex does a stellar job.
1: Obviously, he's he's the man, and uh, and I'm sort of consistent as well. We need that help spreading it because the Poochie Pod. Yes. People were spreading that all over the shop because it, I mean it was such a good tale, and Poochie's such a good talker. But that's how we grow the show. Like following us is great, but if you could tell, like if you know that there's someone a boxing fan in your life who would might learn something from this or enjoy it share it baby we like that and then if
0: they want to hit us up with some stuff like interaction socials GG Boxing Club on Instagram Twitter Twitter X TikTok email us where do we email to email us at ggboxingclub at crowdnetwork.co.uk check out our playlist Uh, The Ring Walk is on Spotify shout out Spotify so go on Spotify search The Ring Walk if you can't find it Go on Twitter X. We've got the link tree, the tree of links. Click on that. You'll have a link to our Spotify. Every one of our guests, Poochie last week, added his banger, 15-minute banger.
1: We're back on Wednesday, George. It's our maddest one yet.
0: It is with the brilliant Stevie Levy. Not Stevie Levy to the
1: Chevy. Stevie Levy. You've heard of madder than a box of frogs. <sighs> what? Anyway, George, I'll see you on Wednesday. Have a lovely day tomorrow. You too.